Welcome back to Disclosure Team. Hi, Katie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Vinny? Not too bad at all. Uh, this is going to be an exciting one. Definitely. I am so excited to talk to Ross and uh, get to know him and hear his perspective on all the news that's been happening lately. Absolutely. Let's not waste any more time. And welcome back to Disclosure Team, Ross Coulthard. Ross, how are you? Hello, guys. How are you all? I'm so uh, excited to be seeing you again. I suspect it's very chilly where you are. I won't tell you that it's just been a beautiful 30 degree day here today. And I've been watering my garden and enjoying the beautiful summer sunshine. But of course, we won't talk about that. No, no, I won't say that. About half an hour ago, I was stood in a freezing cold schoolyard, dropping my daughter off, just looking at the grayness of her. The surroundings <laughs> well if you ever want to come visit in san diego you both have a place to stay i've actually visited san diego quite a few times actually i've, I've got a few friends um a couple of people from the australian navy who serve in the um, uh, collaboration with the american navy and um, it's a great town it's a fun place agreed agreed it is well we are so excited to have you here thank you for taking the time um you have been making the the circuit recently, and so we were were following up on all of the the recent things you've been talking about. And I'm just going to dive right in, if that's okay with you. Sure, let's do it. So one of the things that you um, have been speaking a lot about recently is the utterly appalling response, or lack thereof, of U.S. journalists in the wake of, so to speak, Balloon Week. And there's been a lot of legitimate criticism. That many journalists simply didn't do their homework. They hadn't heard of Aero before. They didn't press about some of the more alarming statements about sensors and an object shattering into a million pieces. And it seems to me, at least, that what we're really dealing with here is a fundamental degree of UAP illiteracy. And as a former lobbyist, one of the things I used to do was arrange staff delegations for congressional staff to kind of bone them up on topics. And so what I'm really curious to know is if you think we need something like that for journalists, do we need to put together a UAP boot camp 101 and kind of get some journalists up to speed so that next time this happens, they know the right questions to ask? You know, Katie, I don't think they'd listen. I mean, one of the things with the whole issue of UAPs is it's the one area where the media suspends normal faculties for rational objective analysis. It's almost as, as soon as you stray into the area of um, uh, UAPs, because of the stigma, the taboo that's attached to it, almost immediately... Um, media just kind of forget about what they're meant to do. They forget about asking the right kind of questions. They they suspend their normal judgment and um, giggle, titter, and, and mm -hmm. completely ignore what their responsibility is, which is, you know, fundamentally to hold power to account and to ask basic questions. I mean, my, my beef about the whole um, balloon gate saga is that, um, well, think about it. What have you seen in the news about Bloongate in the last two weeks since it was all over? And the reason it was all over is because the media just accepted the assurance from the Pentagon without a scrap of evidence right. that the um, the explanation for the three hobby the three objects was that they were hobby balloons or maybe some kind of um, private corporate scientific exercise. Not a shred of evidence to support such a claim. No video, no data to assert the, the, the basis for this assertion. Um, 
there are so many unanswered questions about that episode, and it's not because I'm suggesting that the um, the objects were anomalous, right? But the, the the point that I'm making is that the media have been manipulated to make the issue go away. Largely, I suspect, because the White House is embarrassed that it deployed probably about one and a half million dollars to shoot down what they assert are, are balloons. You know, but I mean, I I, I I've heard the radio transcript of pilots from one of the shoot-down incidents, and it does sound like that what they're talking about is a balloon. So let's give the Pentagon the benefit of the doubt. But really, why is it that American taxpayers don't ask questions and the media don't ask questions when the president, clearly embarrassed and overreacting to the Chinese balloon saga, um, as soon as he's told by the Pentagon that they've turned up the sensitivity of their systems and started detecting other objects, he immediately, in a reflex action, orders the shoot down of those objects, whatever they are. And um, the media aren't asking basic questions like, why, Mr. President, did the Pentagon suddenly adjust the sensitivity of their systems? If they've known these objects are there, why, why did it take an incident like this to adjust the sensitivity of these systems? Why weren't we looking for these objects before? Because even if you accept the arguments of the American government that these objects are benign and that we can be reassured that they're no threat, they're not in any way extraterrestrial, which is something, funnily enough, the Pentagon volunteered, the White House security officials volunteered, yeah. not the media. Even if you accept that assurance, the, the, the implications are that, um, you know, we we have a situation where a government is admitting it for the first time in American history has engaged militarily with weapons, objects in American airspace, yeah. brought them down. And even though they gave assurances, I was actually just going through earlier some notes from uh, some of the media reports, and especially with the Alaska um uh, object, whatever it was. I refuse to call it a balloon. With the Alaska object, officials briefed media, notably Reuters, and you can find this in the Reuters articles, stipulating that they were very confident they would find the object that had been brought right. down because the, the sea ice off the part of Dead Horse where this object is located is frozen. So any object uh, particularly the one they've just shot at, which is presumably not necessarily white, um, is going to be easily detectable on pack ice, frozen pack ice. And yet we're being told by the Pentagon and by the White House that somehow these objects, all three of them, are undetectable. I mean, that's shockingly bad luck. Gosh, you know, when you've got geospatial satellites, you've got the US <laughs> Air Force, you've got military troops that can be deployed on the ground, helicopters, search and search and rescue. I mean, you've got the full resources of the American military and the most powerful nation on the planet <laughs> can't find three objects that are the first objects ever to be shot down, all in a period of about one week. Um, in the history of NORAD, and you would think that the public, the media, would be asking questions and saying, you know, what were these unidentified objects? Why do you know? Why do you know for sure that they're benign? Why do you know for sure that they're not anomalous in some way? Why were descriptions given to media, for example, that one of these objects in some way interfered with the sensor systems of one of the jets? Right. Um, why was it that in one of the incidents, 
the uh, object when it broke apart looked metallic and cylindrical. Um, what possibly could this be? And, and why can't we find it? And, and this is the sort of questioning that I would have thought any logical member of the media ought properly to be asked. If I was the, um, I don't know if there is an Alaska Gazette, but if I was the Alaska Gazette, I'd be deploying my chief reporter to go out to Dead Horse and ask right. people, did they see any search, search mission? Did they see any helicopters? Were there any aircraft flying overhead? I mean, as I was just doing some research on Dead Horse today, and it's 10 mm -hmm. miles from the coast. So there That's are it. tracks. There are tracks from the um, the end of the Dutton Highway, the Dalton Highway, to um, uh, yeah, you get basically you get to the end of the road and there's Dead Horse, and then there's ten more miles and it's the coast, and then it's then it's the Arctic Ocean, and locals go trapping and hunting in that part of the world. They know all the tracks. I've actually been speaking to a local who contacted me, telling me he couldn't see or recall seeing any search aircraft so i'm just asking very basic questions that for what is after all an extraordinarily historic incident i mean right. to my recollection there was obviously the infamous december 7th 1941 pearl harbor attack by the japanese where we you know the americans uh, were i think what was it 2335 um American servicemen were killed in that mm -hmm. attack. And um, that's obviously a, an enormously important day in American history. And that's why that's the political background to why the, the incursion of these objects into American airspace is so important. Okay. But I was doing my research and I noted that there's actually another incident in Alaska, which involved a Japanese zero, which was one of the only other times when a, there's been a, an engagement with um, aircraft over American airspace. And then, of course, I loved the irony of it because when I was going back through the history, the one of the other only incidents over American airspace is the so-called Battle of Los Angeles, which you, Katie, might know about, where in um, the middle of World War II, shortly after the Japanese uh, declared war on America, um, something was seen hovering over the over Los Angeles, the city of Los mm -hmm. Angeles, and an enormous fusillade of artillery was brought to bear on whatever this object was. Yep. And contemporary accounts from the Times assert that it was unable to be brought down, even though artillery shells were seen to explode very close to or on it, and uh, it disappeared subsequently. Never any explanation for what it was. And, uh, of course, the official explanation was that they were shooting out of the jitters because of the Pearl Harbor attack, and it wasn't anything at all. But even the contemporary photographs of the time show that there was an object there. But the reason it has synchronicities with what we're talking about with the shoot-down incidents is both incidents show how manipulable the media can mm -hmm. be and how when you don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a credulity, and during World War II, I can understand it. You know, the media were very heavily controlled. There was a need to make sure that there weren't reports that unnecessarily raised public alarm. But why? Why can't we know about what happened over Dead Hoss, Alaska, uh, over the Yukon, or um, in other sh the other shoot down that took place over near the Great Lakes? I mean, why? Just... So can somebody please explain that to me? Why, for example, did the New York Times 
clearly know, or at least have been briefed by officials, before even the general spoke to the White House press corps, assuring them that even though he had no idea what the object was, this is the absurdity of it, even though he had no idea what the object was, he was very sure it wasn't, well, should we pull an idea out of my head? It wasn't extraterrestrial. You know, I don't know where that came from, but, uh, you know... (laughs) I mean, why? Why all of a sudden did they start talking about aliens? It wasn't the media that started talking about aliens. It was the White House. And it was the general in charge of a North American airspace. And then did you notice how when people like Marco Rubio, uh, Senator John Kennedy, started talking about this issue, they weren't talking to the issue of suspected foreign balloons that had somehow made an incursion into American airspace. They were talking about the broader issue of over many, many years, incursions into American airspace of unknown objects. And we don't know what they are. Um, I actually made notes of it because I was so profoundly fascinated by what they were saying. I mean, um, what have we got here? Uh, Yeah. Marco Rubio. Firstly, he came out of the briefing on the 14th of February and at a press doorstop, he said, look, 95% of the information we've been given in the private hearing could be made public without compromising the security of this country. Right. And um, he said, I reiterate, we know what the spy balloon was from China, so put that one aside. The other three instances, as they are described both publicly I mean, we've heard the exact same description in hundreds of cases, dozens this year alone. So Mm -hmm. observing unidentified objects over US airspace, particularly over sensitive areas of a country, is not new. Now, what Marco Rubio was doing there was he was referring to what we all know about, which is that ARO, the um, uh, All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, has basically alerted the public, the Pentagon, the Congress, to the fact that there are these unexplained, unidentified objects over American airspace that are being frequently seen by reliable witnesses, military pilots, civilian pilots. They're not explained, even though there are attempts by agencies such as ARO to try and find a plausible, mundane, prosaic explanation for them. They're a genuine mystery. And in some cases, again, as Marco Rubio particularly has observed, They're observed often doing things that are completely outside known terrestrial technology. They're doing hypersonic maneuvers, instantaneous course changes, you know, left-hand turns at thousands of kilometers an hour. Um, They've got stealth mode. They appear to drop off radar instantaneously without any explanation. They're transmedium. They go from water to air, air to water, even into orbit. And perhaps most perplexingly of all, when they're put under an AT-FLIR imaging system, they have no observable infrared signal of heat. Right. They're not not showing the normal exhaust or jet plumes or rocket plumes that you would expect from such a highly propelled aircraft. Mm -hmm. So um, what fascinated me was that we had this weird game where the media, in, in a kind of a weird acquiescence to the official line, were constantly trying to dampen down the issue of whether or not there was any non-prosaic, non-mundane explanation for these objects. And at the same time, you had people like Senator Marco Rubio 
clearly wanting to raise and engage with the press on this issue of how, you know, we've been campaigning in the Congress to actually get answers on these other hundreds of anomalous cases that can't be explained. And the media did their level best to try and giggle and titter their way out of it. And, and frankly, I think the big lesson from the whole Balloongate saga is it underlined how easily manipulable the media are. And that's my brief, frankly, that um, that, that, that essentially um, they should have asked tougher questions. Uh, mm. The New York Times has published one article by um, a non-expert, non-national security, non-defense author who's basically quite legitimately said, is that it? You know, it was a great headline, you know, is that it? Um, you know, and that's the explanation you get. Yes, even though we said we know what these objects are, we really don't. And uh, more importantly, even though we asserted confidently in media briefings to the media that we were going to be able to find these objects, you know what? We haven't. A and you just have to take our word for it that these objects aren't anomalous. And we're not asserting, of course, that they are anomalous. It was the Pentagon and the White House National Security Advisors that started asserting that it might be anomalous, might be extraterrestrial. Um, even though they're not asserting that, you know, the, the simple fact is they have not been able to provide any explanation for why they've reached the conclusions they've reached. And shouldn't, I, I, shouldn't we know which yeah. hobby group lost these? Should it, should yeah, it, and, shouldn't and, we have them identified? Yeah. And if I, if I was the, um, you know, if I was the editor of the LA Times, the New York Times or the Washington Post and happy to take the gig, guys, I mean, I, I would basically be telling the investigative team, okay, we now have admissions on the record by the Pentagon. You know, the most powerful military on the planet is admitting it cannot explain anomalous objects in our skies. And even though the um, the debunkers and the skeptics constantly say, oh, it's a bird or it's a you know swamp gas or a balloon or something like that, one can be assured that they've already considered those prosaic, non-prosaic, yeah, the prosaic explanations, the mundane explanations. They've ruled those out. And so then we're left with, well, what the hell is it? And so when the media, for the first time in history, had an opportunity to question the president, or at least the president's spokeswoman, and the national security advisor, or at least his spokesperson, or the general responsible for North American airspace, why didn't they go to town? Because, you know, the, the one thing in media that you can do as, is hunt as a pack. And, and, you know, and, and you know that when there's a story like this and the government's on the back foot, there's a huge opportunity to really push for the truth. And I was waiting. I was waiting during all those press conferences for a moment when the presidential press spokeswoman or the national security advisor were finally asked, listen, we know that you've got vision that you're not letting out. We know that there are many dozens of images and videos of objects mm -hmm. that your military has recorded. And you're doing it to us again. In this case, you're refusing to release vision that you say is benign, is prosaic mm -hmm. and capable of mundane explanation. Yeah. Well, why the fuck should we believe you? <laughs> why can't we see a hobby balloon? What's classified about that? Yeah. yeah. Strange, yeah. really strange. Um, I just wanted to move on, Ross, if you don't mind, because a point that you made recently that 
I think a lot of people latched onto was this story of a, a senior Navy commander becoming aware of the uh, the U.S. Air Force concealing things still, and that this Navy commander took this to the White House. And I just wondered if you were able to expand on this at all. I can't say much about it, to be honest. I'm aware of it. I know it's true. And I know that it's part of a broader battle that's been going on between the Pentagon and the White House. What I can point to is the fact that um, it was the White House, which is obviously the executive, the political arm representing Joe Biden, that made the political decision to appoint an interagency task force over the head of the Pentagon, who wanted everything to go through AARO, the All Domain Resolution, Anomaly Resolution Office. What has to be asked is why did that happen? Mm. Now, what was it that made the White House start to lose confidence? And frankly, that's the only interpretation you can make from this. I was told that, yes, there is a, a senior, very senior Navy commander who's come forward and approached the Biden White House directly with information that suggests that the Pentagon has not been entirely open about what it knows on the subject of UAPs. That's all I can say for now. Could I'm I just gonna... ask, would that, would that include legacy programs? Yeah. Right, okay. Okay, I'm going to ask one more detail. So are, can, are we, is it safe to assume that this person may have approached someone on the NSC, like a staffer that is already working on these issues, or was it a, a military attache? Do we have any, any details I can glean out of you? I know the NSC is aware of it. Okay, thank you. I'm not sure who approached who first, but I know the NSC is aware of it. So someone bumped into Jake Sullivan at COSI and gave him the whole. I don't know if the approach was made directly to Jake Sullivan, but I know oh, Jake I'm, Sullivan I'm aware of it. <laughs> and apologies too to John Kirby. I inadvertently in other interviews have been calling John Kirby Jake. It's so confusing when you've got two people in the NSC sort of spokespeople roles. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, um, uh, for what it's worth, I mean, I, I'm told there is a schism between the Pentagon and the White House on UAPs. And it largely came out of a complete lack of confidence by the Biden White House in the fact that the Pentagon, on its own admission, turned down the sensitivity of its radar systems so as to not detect certain objects. Go figure. If the role of the US military is to protect and defend American airspace, a sacred pledge, especially after the dishonor of the absolutely egregious intelligence failures that allowed Pearl Harbor to happen, something I've made a study of, I'm fascinated by it. You would think that the American military, with all of the technology that it's got at its disposal, would make damn sure, especially when the Congress has prioritized the research into UAPs. And what have they been doing? They've been doing their level best to sabotage investigation into the issue. That's the issue. That's what Jake Sullivan's responded to. That's what the president's responded to. And well done to them. Yeah. The government of the United States has finally started listening. It's a very, very positive development. And you know what? Not being picked up, of course, by any of those tame lickspittle national security defense correspondents who are dependent. And this is the problem. This is the way the media is structured. I've been a beneficiary of it myself in my time covering national security issues in my country. If you want to get the feed, if you want to be on the drip, you don't rock the boat. 
and that goes for the White House, the Pentagon Press Corps, the Intelligence Press Corps. If you're a national security correspondent, you have to keep your nose clean. You don't mm-hmm. upset people. You get your stories vetted. You make sure you're not treading on toes. And for years, the US Air Force in particular has controlled the narrative on UAPs. And what's significant about what's happened with the White House is their appointment of the interagency panel, which was something I should underline, was something that Lou Elizondo was pushing for years ago. You have to ask, why has that happened? And isn't it fascinating that in all the analysis reports that have come out of the um, Balloon Gate saga, you know, you've had trite observations from national security and defence correspondents about how, you know, we, we didn't want to have the radar too sensitive because we didn't want to, you know, pick up all of this anomalous clutter. Um, why? <laughs> why didn't you want to pick it up? I mean, if these things were a threat to navigation, as the president's asserts was the basis for the decision to shoot them down, the three other objects, whatever they are, if these objects did pose a genuine threat to civilian airspace when the Pentagon NORAD command finally started detecting them in American airspace, why the hell hadn't they been doing that previously? And the other thing I would draw your attention to that is significant is the fact that the uh, National Security Council spokesperson also noted that the president had been seeking briefings on the UAP issue since at least 2021. Mm -hmm. Very interesting that. Now, obviously, there was a prime opportunity there for the media to then say, why? Right. What made him start seeking briefings on UAPs? Did you notice how supine and acquiescent the media press corps were in the White House press room when that point was raised by John Kirby? Mm. Not a person twitched. Oh, my goodness me, I've got to get back home and, you know, file my story. That I, I mean, it's just I, I don't understand it. I mean, one of the things that I love about American media is sometimes they really know how to take a story to an issue and, and give it guts. You know, I, I'm a, I grew up with stories of people like Woodward and Bernstein, reporters who were prepared to really go to the line and push a yarn and investigate it. And what really strikes me is that the, corporatiz- the corporatizing of media in the United States has led to a focus far too much on personality and less on the actual story. Yeah, There's a story here. Anybody, any journo worth their salt knows there's a story behind this. The fact that the White House has overruled effectively its Pentagon over its head against its advice, particularly against the US Air Force's advice, it's appointed an interagency panel. Why did it do that? And why has nobody asked that question? Yeah. It's strange as well because we recently discovered that Arrow has been working with three full staff team members which, you know, you assume is Dr. Kirkpatrick and two others. So they're obviously underfunded, understaffed. This is a repeat of mm-hmm. um, the UAP task force and yep. AOIMSG. It, when's it ever going to end? When is the funding ever going to happen? Is it? Is it just, are they just trying to tick the boxes set out in the National Defence Authorization Act and push it to the side and hope people forget about it? I mean, it just seems bizarre. Well, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, Vinny, I think what it was, was that the Pentagon was paying lip service. Up until Balloon Gate, mm-hmm. the Pentagon was paying lip service to the re- demands of the Congress that there be some kind of 
Pentagon-based investigation into this issue. And the, the fact that they had such a derisorily small task force of people employed to properly look at this issue, many of them working, I'm told, part-time, only delegated to this role as part as an adjunct to their normal jobs. Yep. It was, it was a joke. Now, the, the fantastic thing is that I'm assured I've actually been talking to people who've been in touch with Aro and, that, you know, everywhere I go, Aro seems to have been in front, as well as the congressional staffers, the oversight committees from the, um, the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee. There really is some great work being done. And an enormous number of people have been approached and asked to give evidence. And most recently, of course, Bob Salas, Robert Salas, has given evidence about the nuclear weapons tampering by whatever right. this anomalous objects are. Um, but there are other witnesses coming forward with more direct evidence, allegedly, reportedly, about the program. Um, I've spoken to multiple people who assert that they have evidence about the program, and I know at least one of them is either or is about to be in touch with the congressional committees. So it's exciting. It's a really interesting time because I think what the Balloon Gate saga did for the first time was put the issue of unidentified objects over American airspace at the forefront of the news agenda in a way that meant that the White House cannot ignore it. And they realized that this truly, for all the for all the jaw-jawing that's been going on about how this is a national security and flight safety threat, I think the Pentagon's been very readily able to you know, hose the whole issue down as quickly as possible and go, you know, it's not really a national security threat. It's not really a flight safety threat. But now, as a result of the um, Balloon Gate saga, we have a situation where the White House is prioritizing this as an issue. And by golly, they are. They really are. They're putting it right up them. And the, one of the ways they've done that is by doing this, um, uh, appointing this interagency task force. And um, it's done against the wishes of the US Air Force, which, is, which has been doing in previous months its level best to push back against congressional push for transparency. And I can tell you, it's not going to work. And so those people in the U.S. Air Force in particular and the CIA who are trying to hose this whole issue down, they're after you. And so you've got a choice. You know, well, you really and do. Those, those officials now have a choice. They can either decide to come forward and admit what they know, or they can be excoriated in the court of public opinion for essentially lawless, criminal, possibly treasonous behavior. I'm serious. This is really well, serious. I well, mean, and you kind what, of. What I find amazing about this is that, again, the US media is asleep at the wheel on one of the most significant stories of our time. Right. I mean, it's massive, it has international implications. I've had conversations with US military officials who talk candidly to me, and I don't know if it's true or not, about a non human intelligence on this planet. I don't know if that's true. I've talked with people about crash retrievals about American government secret reverse engineering programs. I don't know if that's true, but people are saying it is. Don't you think it's time to stop the nonsense and start investigating? Now, if you're the editor of a major national newspaper or a, a 60 Minutes, at what point do you get off your fat ass and, and, and start <laughs> looking? 
I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I, just, I just think it's unforgivable. Well, and you you hinted at something, Ross, that uh, I kind of want to go back to for a second, because I think it might go above some people's heads. You said that you have it on good authority, yes, that someone might be sharing their story with Congress, with congressional committees. Are we to then assume, you know, the, the current NDAA legislation does not say that individuals with information on these programs can go directly to the committees? What you are very does, sharp, Patty. This is a good what, question. <laughs> what it does say is if a program is confirmed to have been not properly reported to the gang of eight, Arrow has 72 hours to notify those committees. So can we properly assume that we have de facto confirmation that this program that supposedly is going to be discussed with the congressional committees has been confirmed to have not had proper congressional oversight? That is too big a stretch and something I can't assert at the moment. What I can tell you, what I can tell you is that the, I'm aware of an individual who has no confidence in going to Arrow as is required mm. under the legislation okay. and who is insisting on speaking directly to the oversight committees. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, I, I, look, I, I, I just don't think people realize the significance of this. Unless there's a secret presidential order, executive order, somewhere down the tracks, unless Truman or Eisenhower somewhere made an assertion under an executive order that there could be some kind of secret program run to try and back engineer this technology and that it could be withheld from the knowledge of the Congress and the knowledge of future presidents, the legality of which I think would be highly questionable, mm -hmm. this is indubitably illegal probably criminal, a criminal contempt of your Congress. And there are individuals in our military right now who might be watching this, I hope they are, who are probably wringing their hands, wondering whether or not they should be candid. They might be concerned about the fact that I'm understanding that a senior Navy commander has come forward to the White House to reveal what they know. You know, we're, we're in amazing times. And the terrible thing is that a lot of it at the moment is subterranean. It's it's off the front page. And sure as hell, you're not going to read about it in your newspapers because nobody in your newspapers has been allowed to write about the Pentagon because that's the situation we have now. You have national security and defense reporters who've just completely lost their spines. Unfortunately, so. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, with all this talk of legacy programs, crash retrievals, back engineering, and sources coming out saying that these people are having the conversations, we saw George Knapp this week talking about one of his sources, this Alfred O'Donnell, who worked at EG&G. The name Richard D'Amato came back into the conversation. But with this whole conversation, has or have you heard any inklings of people actually discussing the origin of these objects? Because that just seems to be out of the conversation a lot of the time. Even speculation. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no leads at all on the origin of the objects. I mean, I uh, the implicit assumption from everybody that I've spoken to is that they're of non-human origin. Yeah. And so you've got intelligently controlled, intelligently crafted objects that are not human. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I have to leave it at that. I mean, it's funny, actually. I mean, one of the things I'm enjoying in between all the excitement about Bloomgate is reading Jacques Vallée's latest volume of his diaries, Forbidden yes. Science, Volume 5, 
And, um, you know, I'm, I mean, it's better than a thriller because, you know, in previous volumes, we've learned about Richard D'Amato, who you mentioned, who was the, he'd had the same job, by the way, as Christopher Mellon on the Senate Intelligence mm. Committee 30 or 40 years ago. And he was tasked to investigate whether there was such a legacy program. I mean, these questions have been asked before. And even though Mr. D'Amato quite honourably is refusing to comment publicly about the issue, um, it's quite clear from the conversations that he had with Jacques Vallée at the time, uh, and that Jacques Vallée has faithfully recorded in his diary, um, that um, he was expressing great frustration and strong suspicion that there was something that was being improperly withheld from the American public. And this is my other concern. My other concern is that everybody seems to assume that if the Congress finds out about it and if the oversight committees are briefed about it, that somehow we're going to get miraculously told about it through some kind of miracle of transparency and openness and accountability by the US Congress. Nope. <laughs> I strongly doubt that. I strongly doubt that. I mean, the imperative that um, Chris Mellon is working towards, I understand, and he's always been very careful about stating this, is making sure that whatever is whatever is truly happening is brought within the control and oversight of the of the congress and look let's devil's advocate for a moment if you're the united states and you are sitting on awesome technology you know propulsion systems that we've never seen before energy systems that are completely revolutionary they are i'm told potential weapons you know, they, they do represent a threat in the sense that once the science is understood, apparently they could be very readily duplicated and some insane extremist nutter could use them to kill a lot of people. So, you know, I can see the rationales for why there might be a need for secrecy about the nature yeah. of the technology. What I can't see any justification for is why we can't be told about the existence of such such technologies if they exist and and that's the issue that's the that's the nuance i mean at one stage in recent months i was being told uh, by sources that um there was an effort to constrain the narrative so that at some stage there was going to be an admission of a non-human intelligence on this planet I don't, again, I emphasize, I'm not saying I know that that's true, but, you know, right. obviously there are a lot of people who assert that it is. And the, the suggestion was being made to me that there would seek to be a distinction between acknowledgement of a non-human intelligence and acknowledgement of crash retrieval and a back engineering program, that they'd endeavor to try and keep that secret. I still mm. think that's a possibility, but I think where we are at the moment is getting very, very interesting because um, we have a bipartisan push in Congress now. That's really significant. We have a bipartisan push in Congress for candor about unidentified objects in our skies. There is legislation which has mandated that oversight committees be told about things, which, Katie, as you quite rightly observe, if they're not properly reported to the Gang of Eight, and just to explain to listeners, the Gang of Eight is a group of people in Congress, senators, congressmen, who are entrusted with America's most valuable secrets, the waived, unacknowledged, 
special access programs, secrets so secret they can't even be disclosed to the uh, full membership of the various committees in Congress, and they certainly can't be put in writing and reports. Right. And so what they do is they do oral briefings to the Gang of Eight in a skiff, in a secure facility in the uh, Congress building. And um, funnily enough, there's just been a, a briefing today to the Gang of Eight uh, on a completely unrelated issue. And I was just fascinated to see the Gang of Eight being mentioned because it is mm -hmm. such a super secret body. But okay. um, yeah, I mean, truly, if the Gang of Eight has not been notified and if there's been a breach of the oversight reporting requirements in the Congress, in my country and in yours, that's a serious breach of parliamentary protocol and and congressional protocol it's a you know to withhold evidence from the body which after all is sovereign in your country i mean it's government mm. of the people for the people by the people through the congress it's not the bloody pentagon that runs the country you know i mean i, I don't get it i really don't get it because I, I studied law as a boy and one of the things that you're drummed into you is the power of the american constitution you know i've, <laughs> I've grown up with the um the very weak English constitution in Australia <laughs> and New Zealand, where, where I was. And it is, it's very weak. It, it doesn't have those constitutional protections of freedom of association, freedom of speech, all of the freedoms that you have enshrined in your constitutional law. There's so much that you should be proud of about your accountability and transparency systems in your country. But if what we're talking about here is true, if there really has been the kind of breach of faith with the American Congress and the American public that we're describing, there has been the most awful breach of the relationship between the American people and their government. And, and that's truly why I suspect it's not being revealed. There's no good reason not to talk about it. Sure, don't reveal the technologies. Don't reveal the, the details of how these weapons might be able to be manufactured. No. By all means, you know, God, I, I don't want the Russians or the Chinese having these capabilities. I'd prefer it was America. But I would prefer that it be done for the benefit of the whole planet, not for well, the exclusive benefit of certain aerospace companies and a few privileged people in the military who probably get directorships and positions in those companies after they've left the military. I mean, how long has this been going on for? And I think the White House is starting to ask those questions. Good. No, absolutely. I think you bring up incredible points. And that actually brings me to my next question is amidst all of this going on in the US, of course, there's the recognition that this is not solely a problem that affects my country. And assuming that Project Titan moves forward as is currently scheduled, we can expect a proposal submitted to the UN in October, um, a committee hearing of some sort shortly thereafter, and hopefully a UN General Assembly vote in December. And so, you know, between the three of us here, we have three to maybe four for you, Ross, of the five five eyes <laughs> uh, represented in this room. And so my question is, when we go to the UN, this is going to be a completely different body of individuals. It's not Pentagon officials in the room. It's not intelligence officials in the room. It's UN ambassadors. And so I'm really curious to hear your opinion on how that is going to go, how we might have to adjust our approach to make sure that um, it is effective and what you see happening in the months to come. Oh, boy. Crystal ball. Um 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know about the UN thing. I mean, I mean, obviously, a previous UN effort failed miserably because it was done through Grenada, and now it's being done through another very small country. And I guess the issue is going to boil down to whether the the key votes that have the right of veto are going to veto it. And uh, will the US veto a vote in the United Nations um, on whether or not you know there should be greater disclosure and transparency on UAPs? We don't yet know what the vote will be actually voting on from the San Marino initiative. But um, again, you know, that's a really good question. Why are the media not asking questions about what it is that is going to come out of the San Marino push for some kind of greater disclosure at the UN? You know, why has there not been from the UN coverage that's done by the major newspapers in um, Washington and New York, why hasn't there been any effort to actually even give any kind of publicity to the issue? I mean, I think we just have to call it for what it is. It's not just oversight. It, you know, it's supine acquiescence by the media who know, frankly, that if they start asking questions about these issues, they get isolated, marginalised. And it's time, frankly, for the media to start asking questions about that kind of stuff. And also, I think it's incumbent on the public to actually say, look, you know, I care about this stuff. You know, get onto your congressman or your congresswoman or your senator and say, look, I, I'm really interested in this issue. I am worried about incursions into American airspace, and rightly you should be. I mean, you know, it is amazing. You know, I, I keep on coming back to the issue that we now know as a result of Balloon Gate that <laughs> the military of the United States was turning down the sensitivity of its radars to avoid detecting <laughs> things, which we now know were a threat to flight safety. Yeah, makes I mean, you feel I, really good as an American. Let me tell you, safe? are you feeling safe, America? Boy, I wouldn't. No. Be, you know, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, you know, the amazing thing about it is they let a balloon, which they knew had come from China, and the, the breathtaking fact in the media reports that I find absolutely amazing is it had a payload equivalent to three buses underneath it. Three buses. Imagine the uh, the bombs or the nerve agents or the explosives you could have put on a, uh, an object Oh, like we were. That. We were, Ross. We were all imagining it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and the fact that the media now aren't asking any further questions about this when the Pentagon's saying, hey, guys, believe us, you know, we know what these objects are, but we can't tell you that. We, we can't tell you why we know that. We sure as hell can't actually let you interview the pilots. We can't let you see the videos. And um, we can't explain why we know this, but you've just got to trust us. Trust us, guys. I mean, why? Why should you trust them? And at what stage does American media and public officials, particularly the politicians, start developing a spine and start asking questions in, in Congress about this. You know, who's going to take it to them? Because, frankly, think, okay. the, the lesson of the last two weeks since that incident is that as soon as the, I think, inadequate explanation came out that we now surmise that these are hobby balloons based on absolutely no evidence whatsoever... We now surmise that these are hobby balloons. Um, we don't have any evidence of any recovery operation or any attempted recovery or any successful recovery. But please trust us, we're very sure that they were probably, possibly 
hobby balloons or some kind of balloon. So please go away, back to your little homes, and don't bother us anymore. End of story. And you know what? America bought it. That That's what worries me about this, that, that the lesson from previous incidents, Project Blue Book, uh, Richard D'Amato's efforts in the 1970s, um, the uh, the efforts 55 years ago to get some kind of congressional inquiry going under Gerald Ford, all of those failed, and they'll fail. They'll fail again if you let them. It's mm. as simple as that. If America wants to know, it has to demand the truth. This is a unique opportunity, mm. and and the only way that that things will happen, because I mean we've never had. I mean. Okay, um, if you go right back to the days of Roscoe Hillencotter, I mean, I love my history. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'll just indulge me here for a moment. I mean, of course, you had the founding director of the CIA, Roscoe Hillencotter, a man who at one stage was in a command position on one of your greatest battleships in the World War II, one of the most respected military officials in the U.S. military a man entrusted with all of the secrets who'd, who'd actually presided over a lot of the early cover-ups uh, involving, you know, UAPs, who came out and helped found an organisation called NICAP, one of the early UAP UFO advocacy organisations for transparency. And he made it very, very clear. He believed there'd been a cover-up. So what goes around comes around. These things have happened before. Public officials have spoken out before. But I don't think there's ever been the degree of official candor, including from former presidents, who are intimating very, very strongly that there's something to this. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I know a lot of people think that the push is going to come from Congress. But frankly, congressmen, congresswomen, they don't really do anything until the public tells them. They need to be yep. reassured that this is an issue of primary public concern. And I don't think they're seeing that right now. And the lesson from Balloon Gate is just how easy it is to hose the whole thing down by using ridicule. I mean, what media person wanted to continue to push to investigate this issue when press conferences were told that, you know, hey, guys, you know, don't make a fool of yourself. These are probably just hobby balloons. But even then, they should have seen the blood in the water because You've got a president of the United States that ordered attacks on hobby balloons with $400,000 <laughs> missiles. Seriously. And if we knew all these objects, hundreds of these objects are, are intervening into American airspace all the time, why did we bring these particular objects down? Mm. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are basic questions that need to be asked. And frankly, nobody's asking them. That's my point. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. On a separate note as well, we've had the conversation recently about these UAP appearing in active war zones as well. This is another right. thing that's considerably worrying if these things are happening. What's your take on all of that? Well, I mean, uh, let's start with that. There's the Mosul orb. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've been briefed by somebody who'd seen that video in one of the congressional briefings. And they told me it was an amazing image. And it's part of a video. And the video is even more interesting. Uh, I think um, Jeremy and um, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp have made the decision probably quite properly that they don't want to reveal too much about the methods and the capabilities of US mm -hmm. reconnaissance sure. systems by showing the video. But what they do show is quite profound. 
And, you know, I've more than verified the bona fides of that video. It's not a puddle of water, as some idiot speculated online. <laughs> um, it, it's an object really that flew through the viewfinder of the camera mm -hmm. on the spy plane. And it's one of multiple such objects that have been detected across the Middle East. Um, and I can tell you that Australian military pilots uh, on deployment in the Middle East have had similar sightings unexplained, which they've reported to their commanders and been ignored. I mean, at what stage do you engage with with issues like that? At what mm. stage does the media go, excuse me, Mr. President, we know that you're talking about what you say are just balloons in American airspace, but there's a lesson from this. The lesson from this is that yet again, 22 years after 9-11, there has been another egregious intelligence failure that allowed breaches by unidentified objects into American airspace. You know, how do you know, sir, that those objects that were sent up weren't testing the capabilities of American radar sensor systems? Is it only because of the focus of good men like Christopher Mellon and Lou Elizondo on revealing the ridiculous failures by the US intelligence community and the military in deploying resources to properly investigate UAPs? Is it only because of their noble efforts before the Congress to actually make sure that there be data collection that starts looking at this issue, that you actually for the first time looked properly and started picking up objects that you now admit you always knew were there all the time, which do pose a flight safety risk because you shot them down. Now, I would have thought that one of the great interviewers of American television would have had a ball putting the National Security Advisor or mm -hmm. the Pentagon General, I've forgotten his name, General Van Kuwik. What's his name? Uh, General Van Herc, Glenn Van Herc. Why in God's name, when people had the opportunity to question these people, didn't they ask them questions like that? Isn't what we're talking about here, sir, an absolutely appalling intelligence failure? Chris Mellon's been talking about the potential for UAPs to be another Pearl Harbor or another Sputnik. Yeah event. He's been proved right. So why isn't the American media, why isn't some brave congressman, congresswoman taking this issue and running with it? Right. I, mean, I, I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, because I mean, it really should be a, a subject at the forefront of American concern, because we now know that there have been illegal incursions of American airspace by objects mm -hmm. that even the American military admits it doesn't know what they are. How do we know that there isn't some nation that's been surveilling your airspace with ill we intention? We don't. We, we don't. And, and, and what's the point of spending trillions of dollars on the world's <laughs> most powerful military if it can't defend American airspace? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I care about that issue and I'm not even an American. <laughs> we love you guys. You know, you're our ally. We've fought wars together since World War I. I mean, for God's sake. Wake up, rattle the cage. The one thing that I admire about America is it's a country that has a history of questioning, probing, digging. What has happened in the last 10 to 20 years to stop people from feeling that they can challenge authority? It's not a bad thing to take a question to a political leader. If you're sitting at a press conference, you don't have to be subservient and, and, and submissive. 
your job as a journalist is to ask questions that are often making that person uncomfortable. Right. And frankly, it's fun. (laughs) 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 Well, and, you know, as some of our closest allies, you know, is there, is there a role to play for some ally to ally conversations about this? You know, you mentioned that some Australian uh, troops are having similar experiences. You know, is this something that you think we need to be addressing at the five eyes level more closely? Well, I mean, I can tell you, I know from my own sources that there's already extensive data sharing on UAPs between the five eyes nations, whatever they say publicly. And I mean, we have a we have a chief of defence force who's given evidence to a parliamentary committee that, look, frankly, I think at best is disingenuous because I know what they know. And, and they're not being entirely candid with the Australian public or the Australian parliament. And so we have a, a really interesting situation where um, I know that officers have been orally briefed on what they call uncorrelated targets. Uh, why it, the decision is made to not put these reports in writing why the decision is made to compartmentalise that information in such a way that senior people in command authority may not necessarily know about them is entirely up to them. But I, I know for a fact that there's been a cosy intelligence sharing issue going on between the Five Eyes Nations for many years on this issue. Uh, and wow. it's also with countries like France, which isn't a member of the Five Eyes. Right. Countries like Brazil. You know, countries all around the world, including even Russia in the good days, after the Cold War. <laughs> you know, if you read the British Condine report that Vinnie will know well, which was a report commissioned by the British government to actually look at the UAP issue, the extent of intelligence sharing after the end of the Cold War in 1989-1990 revealed that right through the Cold War, the Americans thought these objects were the Russians and the Russians thought these objects were the Americans. And then everybody realised when the war came down that it wasn't. And there was a degree of collaboration in those early days where, as George Knapp's stories in the United uh, in the USSR revealed, Russian officials were really candid that they'd been investigating these UFOs. There was a huge investigation by the Russians. And so I think it's not just a Five Eyes issue, it's an international issue. And funnily enough, that's an issue that I, I noted um, Marco Rubio made the point about, you know, um, He came out of the briefing and he said, you know, this isn't a briefing. This isn't an issue just for the United States. This is an international issue. And, you know, when the media are being told that sort of stuff, why why do they just accept it? Mm. I mean, seeing as Chris Mellon has been proved right, and frankly, he would know because, you know, he was a senior staffer of the Senate Intelligence Committee Mm -hmm. in his youth. He went on to become a an undersecretary for um, defence, intelligence and security uh, later on, um, you know, the, the statement that he gave has asserted that the Navy has been notably helpful in investigating the UAP issue. And he flatly asserts that the Air Force has remained notably unhelpful, if not hostile, to inquiries on the subject. Now, if I was the Biden White House, I would read a statement like that and say, we want to know more about that. What do you mean, sir? Mm -hmm. And then if they didn't get an adequate answer, they'd go to the Air Force and they'd say, what the hell is going on? (laughs) What do you guys know? know? And why? I mean, frankly, why does the American public put up with a situation where certain arms of the military or the intelligence services behave like they're the sovereign government of the United States? They're answerable 
to your Congress. And the evidence would suggest that individuals within certain military agencies have sought to subvert the accountability controls that the sovereign arm of your nation, the Congress, have traditionally imposed to make sure that money is spent in the right places. This is why this matters. This is such a serious issue. You know, I, I mean, no disrespect to your country when I say I'm truly shocked at how your infrastructure is falling apart in your country. You know, <laughs> roads are falling yep. apart. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I learned to drive slowly in certain states in your country <laughs> here because yeah. there are potholes as large as cars. You know, mm -hmm. things aren't being built. And a large part of it is because so much money is going into your military and intelligence community. And yep. in some cases, quite rightly, because of the lessons of 9-11. Mm -hmm. But you had incidents where, you know, shortly um, shortly before the most recent Gulf War, you know, we were hearing from a defence secretary that um, uh, trillion, a trillion dollars was missing in the US defence budget. <laughs> You know, oh, you want to get into the Pentagon audits? That's a whole other podcast. You, did you notice this last <laughs> week with an announcement yet again? It's almost become a, um, a ritual of passage that every year the Government Accounting Office makes the observation that they were unable to reconcile the audit for the Defence Department of the United States. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, oh, why do you guys about. put up with this? You know, it's, why when, when you can't pay the bills for your own roads, when you've got a healthcare system that is an absolute catastrophe, you know, when you've got a homeless epidemic on the streets of your major cities, why are people not asking why their military is given such latitude? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have lots of thoughts about it, but this isn't about me. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think I think in the in the US, you know, we have we have such a reverence for the military. And I think in some situations that's um, turned into an unwillingness to question. You know, which can be very, very problematic. And I think you properly pointed out. So my question is, when are you going to come over here and help whip some of these U.S. into shape? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I mean, I, I, the the um, I, I mean, I, I would love nothing more than to be in charge of an investigative team that deploy. And I, I can assure you that one of the things that is a joy to be part of is when a media organization smells blood in the water and deploys a team of fine investigative journalists to start digging into an issue. I'm really proud to have been involved in some fantastic investigations. And I'm part of a, a collaborative group called ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists that was set up by a guy called Chuck Lewis, who is the former 60 Minutes producer who... Um, who uh, persuaded the guy who blew the whistle on Big Tobacco, uh, you know, uh, The Insider. It led to The Insider movie. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've met some of your greatest journalists in your country, and it's a privilege to know fantastic media. You know, you've got a fantastic media over there, but the problem is, as is happening in my country, um, the media institutions that we've traditionally entrusted to investigate things like Watergate or Iran-Contra or um, BCCI or shocking scandals, you know, in, in American politics. They don't have the resources anymore to do the kind of dig that we're talking about. Right. And it's funny because everybody seems to be waiting for somebody else to start asking the questions and start doing the dig. 
you know, we're obsessed with the January 6th insurgency, which is, flank, frankly, I mean, why do we need an inquiry to know that there was an insurgency, you know, a conspiracy to bring down the government of the United States? Imagine if those resources had actually been spent on investigating what we're all talking about here. You know, yeah. uh, there's been ample evidence provided by officials former and serving to suggest that there has been the most egregious breach of faith with the American public, possibly illegal. Mm -hmm. It's time it was investigated. It, it's time to put people on the back foot and start asking questions. And and the, the problem is that this is happening at a time when media organisations are being gutted, when the first thing to go is investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's very sad because, um, you know, once great institutions, I don't think a Woodward and Bernstein Watergate-style inquiry would be allowed to happen today. That's the tragedy. I mean, the Wash Post is a great newspaper and Jeff Bezos is funding it well. But um, I do question whether with the nature of the security constraints that are imposed on media these days, it would even be possible to do that kind of a story. I mean, the level of surveillance of media, the, the level of antagonism of media who ask questions, legitimate questions about national security, I mean, look at, um, there's a friend of mine, James Risen, who, who asked legitimate questions revealing the illegality of certain NSA operations against the American public with mass wiretapping. I mean, I think the part of the problem was that a large part of the American public didn't understand the significance of what was being explained here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the most powerful weapons that can be deployed against any group of individuals is surveillance of their communications. What are they saying? What are they hearing? And, you know, you have the most incredible, powerful agencies in your government. And I've met good people in those agencies who respect and understand, particularly at the NSA, by the way, who respect and understand that there are rules that they have to abide by. But the big lesson from things like the um, Countal Pro uh, incidents where the CIA was caught in the 1970s doing grossly illegal things you know, that, that was revealed by the Congress. Hmm. You know, the uh, the appalling revelations that came out of the Iran-Contra inquiry where, you know, essentially sections of the US intelligence community were subverting the will of the Congress in order to um, deliver arms to the Contras to fight a war against the, the allegedly communist Sandinistas. Mm -hmm. um, do Americans care about those things? They, that they should. And they should care about any breaches or illegalities in relation to the issue of UAPs. Mm -hmm. And and that's why it's so important. It's why it's so important that the oversight committees be properly informed. And I can tell you, they're doing a really good job. And there is a possibility that there may be public hearings. I'm doubtful, but, you know, there's a possibility. Um, and there are good people coming forward. I, I know some of them and they're, if they tell me, if they tell the Congress what they've told me, it's game over, really. That's encouraging. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ross, listen, I'm very conscious of, the, of time and I know we're limited here, but are you able to tell us if you're working on anything with Seven News or any plans for 2023 to see you back on the on the screen? Well, as you know, Bryce Zabel and I are doing the Need to Know vodcast, on, and yep. we've got another one coming next week, uh, and that'll be done in conjunction with Seven News uh, Australia. And uh, it's going to be another Spotlight special. And uh, what I will tell you is that it's, it's quite incredible revelations 
from Bryce's experience in Hollywood. Ooh. More information about the way the Pentagon plays with the media and tries to manipulate what you're told in your movies and in your media. And there's also going to be a very interesting story about what really happened when a very, very senior government official was briefed allegedly about the program. Wow. So that's coming up. That'll be coming up on Need to Know in about a week's time. And uh, at the same time, I'm also cracking the whip on myself because I, I've been I'm honored that HarperCollins USA are really keen to do a update uh, a new edition of my book in plain sight and oh, that wow. will be released onto the American market I think in July August and I am writing that right now and uh, frantically trying to get the final draft ready by the end of next week which is the time they've given me to do it um, and uh, that's underway at the moment as well and um in the middle of all of that, I am dealing on an almost daily basis with an absolute avalanche of material that just comes in the door every day. I mean, one of the reasons I get so frustrated about the um, disinterest of the American media and the UAP issue is because it's, if you look, if you just turn over a rock and start looking, it's such a bloody good story. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have so many good people. Yeah approaching me with solid information you don't you don't need to get into the woo to find a good yarn in this area i mean one thing i've got at the moment is an australian astronomer who's sent me like gigabytes of data where he has observed through his telescopes weird objects in orbit that are doing things i cannot explain and um, the irony is, is that what he's showing me is stuff that I've been sent by other people around the world. And so, you know, the, the thing I feel quite privileged and honoured about is that people are entrusting me as a journalist with, with information that I, I feel duty-bound to investigate. And um, I'm just trying to find a way of funding and resourcing those investigations because I, I truly believe, like never before, there's such a desperate need for rigorous objective analysis and investigation and skepticism and um, it's not being done by mainstream media but rather than waiting for mainstream media to do it you know it's shows like yours Vinny and Katie that that are actually the f the forward new end of new media that are actually asking these questions and and um, you know you may not feel like it, but you are the vanguard of the new media that have to probe on this issue. And the reason why you get the ratings you do, the reason why you have the audience you have, is because whether you believe it or not, you are the new journalists of your generation. The legacy media has dropped the ball on this issue. They've, they've failed. And sooner or later, they're going to be incredibly embarrassed that they didn't follow this subject matter more aggressively. But all credit to you guys for asking the questions and digging for the answers. I appreciate the, the vote of confidence. Yeah. And Thanks. thank you for coming in and helping us to try to unspool some of those yarns, like you said. Great, great to see you again, Vinny. And great to meet you, Katie. You're quite Likewise. a hard questioner. You had me on the back foot there for a while. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. That's why I'm here.
<laughs> absolutely ross thank you so much um i know you're a busy man can't wait for all the stuff that you've got working that you're working on to come out uh, uh, and i'm sure it'll be very popular but yeah thank you so much Re real pleasure and thank you thank you to you and your audience bye take care